Welcome to the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Vidala, and we're going to talk about music theory, lyric writing, creative productivity, inspiration, and more. I'm super excited to have you here, so let's dive into the episode. Hello, friend. Welcome to another episode of Songwriter Theory. I believe this is the 60th episode, so that is... Uh, pretty exciting. The episode number just keeps getting higher. Um, and we're going to continue on our trend of, um, the how to start month. And for this episode, we're talking about how to start writing chords. So little disclaimer before we dive in, we've done how to start with lyrics and how to start writing uh, melody. And for both of those, I sort of went over, hey, here's how you start in the sense of like, you have nothing, start with lyrics. You have nothing, start with melody. And we've talked through both of those. Um, And then with each, we talked about how to start with melody if you already have lyrics, if you already have chords, stuff like that. Now for this, we're gonna do the same thing, but I wanna make clear from the outset that I think uh, generally it is not good to, if you over relied on starting with melody with your songs or starting um, with a hook or a a riff, depending on how you wanna see it, like a little piano riff that's really memorable, right? Like say Clocks by Coldplay. Um, probably the most memorable part of that song is the riff that's played in the intro and in the chorus, right? Like the chorus, the lyrics are just like, we are, or whatever, something like that. And usually that's not going to get you uh, a, a huge hit, right? With lyrics that are, I mean, the standard on lyrics is very low for pop hits, but, um, uh, in that case, it's not like a bad lyric. It's just, it's just like, you know, usually a memorable melody or a memorable chorus is part of what uh, gets you through um, with a popular song. And in that case, you know, they had to do almost nothing vocal melodically with the chorus because the piano riff was so memorable. Um, but anyway, that's sort of what I mean by a riff or a... Um, or a hook, uh, you know, usually I think with hooks, we think of uh, guitar hooks, right? Like the, the guitar lead part that plays over and over that is the main melody you think of with a song that isn't the vocal melody. Or, um, you know, another way to see a hook would be a bass line, right? So a hook is like a really memorable, usually a musical part. A hook also can be the vocal, but that's getting into uh, some details we don't need to get into now. But... Um, basically what I'm trying to say here is if you spent, if 90% of your songs, the first thing you did for your song were any of those other ways to start, I would be like, awesome, great. Um, but if, if there's one that would slightly concern me to do 90% of the time, like a a disproportionate amount of the time, uh, it would be starting with chords. Um, which is not to say that chords are not important. It is not to say chords are even equally as important as those other things. It is incredibly important, but I don't usually think it's a great place to start. You usually want to start with something uh, that is a little more, uh, I guess, original or exclusive. And, you know, if you come up with a piano riff or a melody, like, you're not going to pick, you're not going to have one that's the same as been done before. Whereas, um, I think part of the weakness of starting with chords is there are only so many chord progressions, really. Because with whatever key you pick, uh, especially, you know, let's take a major key, because most songs uh, are in major keys. I forget what it is. I think it's like 90% of music is in a major key, and then like most of the rest of the 10% is in a form of minor key. It's something like that. It's it's really disproportionate. It might not be that much, but pretty pretty big difference. Um, and even with a minor key, what I'm about to say rings largely true, which is that uh, a lot of the music is built off of uh, 
four chords uh, because in a, in a key, right, you have essentially seven notes because you have the octave. So you have, say, take the key of uh, C major, you have C, D, E, F, G, A, B, and then C again. But one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and then in the eighth note returns. So you basically have seven different notes to work with, right? And all of the triads, all the chords are built off of those notes. Um, and the main ones that are used that are easy to work with are the one, four, five, and six. So uh, in the key of C, C major, F major, G major, and A minor. Um, and certainly using twos and threes, uh, both of those would be minor in a major key. So D minor and E minor in the key of C major um, are certainly usable. I personally have a great love for three chords. Um, but seven chords are very, very, very hard to use. They're diminished in major keys and uh, usually should be avoided, which I tell you all this um, to sort of give you the idea of like, unlike a melody, right, where like there's this just unending that right there, right? Like that, it's very possible nobody's ever written that before just because of the sheer number of combinations and the usage of octaves, which is relevant. Whereas with chords, you really, you know, a chord is a chord. So um, no matter how you play a G chord differently, it's still a G chord. Um, so I think that's a part of why. Um, another thing is you have to think of creating anything as a funnel, right? As soon as you make one decision, that has to inform the next decision. So with each decision you make, you have fewer choices, right? So Rise of Skywalker just came out. Do not worry, I'm not gonna spoil anything. I'm gonna use something from the original trilogy as an example off the top of my head. So, you know, once George Lucas, so let's take episode four, right? You have Luke Skywalker, you have uh, Leia, uh, Leia Organa. They rarely refer to her that way, but Leia Organa. And then you have Han Solo. And then you have this bad guy, or a couple bad guys, right? You have the Emperor, who's casually mentioned, but doesn't appear in the film. And you have Darth Vader, who is shown, who's given a name. Oh, I should throw in Obi-Wan Kenobi. Of course, how can I forget? My favorite Jedi, probably, partially. I don't know, him, Luke, and uh, Yoda are all kind of tied. Love them all. Uh, but anyway, um, but, but for more, more main characters through that trilogy, that trilogy specifically, um, you have those, right? And then you have Tarkin, who of course dies at the end of four. But with each decision made in episode four, right? Like, so they kill off Tarkin, because he blows up with the Death Star. Now you have fewer ways to go with five, right? And then in five, when it's revealed, okay, Luke Skywalker is actually the son of Darth Vader. Darth Vader is, is Anakin Skywalker, right? Now you have fewer decisions to make. Like, okay, you've now connected those two. You can't go back. Whereas when you just created this Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker, you could have done anything with those characters, but now they're linked. You can't go back now, right? Like you can't be like, oh, well, just kidding. He's not the father. Like, I mean, maybe you could, but like, can't really do that. Or like, once you first show Emperor Palpatine, now, now he has a face, right? Before he could have been some sort of alien species, he could have been whatever, but now you've shown him. He's an incredibly old um, male human, right? He, so now he has an appearance. So now with each of these choices, right, you're now constrained a little bit more with what you can do, which is not necessarily a bad thing, of course, right? Like. To write a great story, you need, you need to have some, some bounds. And with each decision you make, right, you have new rules, right? Like the, the term Sith didn't exist or, you know, didn't exist publicly until episode one. So, which is crazy to think, at the end of episode six, so if you're not a Star Wars fan, I'm sorry for this analogy, but hopefully it makes sense regardless. At the end of six, you just sort of have like Darth Vader, which Darth at that point still 
could be anything, right? Like, it's, it's just Darth Vader. It's the only Darth we have. So for all we know, it's just the name he takes on, Darth Vader. Darth is his first name, and Vader's his last name. In fact, Obi-Wan in Episode Four even calls him Darth, implying that that's his first name. Um, because I think at the time they didn't know, and they thought maybe it really was his first name. And by they, I mean, like, the creator, George Lucas. But, like, you know, the term Darth Sidious didn't exist. That is who the Emperor is, but that didn't exist yet. It was just the Emperor and Darth Vader. <clears throat> now, it was, it was determined that the Emperor was a Force user in Episode Six, but the whole concept of Sith and Rule of Two and all Sith bearing the name Darth so-and-so, you know, Darth Sidious, Darth Tyrannus, Darth Maul, Darth Vader, uh, Darth Revan who's technically not canon at the moment, but he will be. But anyway, but that didn't exist until episode one, right? So now you have constraints, right? Now you have this rule of two concept. You have this, um, so you sort of have a new rule that you need to play with. And now the emperor has a few more names. He has Palpatine, uh, Senator, and then, of course, Chancellor, and and Darth Sidious. So, so each of these decisions, right, constrains you more and more. Um, and it's the same thing with music, right? Once you, once you choose a melody, once you choose a lyric, right? Once once you have a lyric, for example, you have a certain amount of, you have a certain amount of syllables, right? So how can you do this to me, right? So you can't have a melody that goes, right? That was three syllables. So how can you fit? How can I? How can you do this to me into that melody, right? Like that would be absurd, right? You're probably thinking, Joseph, that's like obviously you can't do that. But, you know what I mean? So, like, now you're constrained. So once you have a lyric, you're constrained more. So it's like a funnel, right? Because a funnel starts wide, and then it gets narrower and narrower. And that's sort of how it works, right? Once you, so once you have a melody and a lyric, your choices for chords is even more constrained, right? Because now you need to make it uh, work in rhythm with the uh, melody, with the syllables that are there. You need to make the syllables fit into the measures in the right way. Um, so with each decision, you get less creative room. And so to me, the main reason, the main thing I'm arguing here, is that you probably shouldn't start with chords first too often, uh, because in general, that's going to be the weakest. You know, if whatever you choose to constrain your choices, you want to choose something that has a lot of creative room. And usually chords doesn't really have that, so you want to use that uh, creative total freedom on something that has more creative room, like a melody or like a lyric. Now, there are certainly exceptions to this. I'm a big proponent of always trying to change up how you do songwriting. Like, I've decided as a challenge, like, okay, I'm going to start with a bass line. I'm going to write a great bass line, even though that's typical typically not my way. I normally would start with a piano riff or a melody or a lyric because those are the more important things to me. Um, and then there's been other times where I made a challenge to myself to just like write something catchy because my normal default state is to write things that are memorable rather than catchy. I like an emotional melody, not so much something that makes you want to tap your foot, right? So to do things like that, to sort of... Uh, purposely constrain yourself to make yourself get outside of the box can be a good thing. Um, but my argument here, of course, is that I'm saying that that is more what you should do with starting with chords first. Um, it can be a good alternate to do, but I would not re overly rely on it. So, with that being said, if you do want to start with chords, personally, I would recommend doing something similar but different, uh, which I have already implied multiple times in here, which is to come up with a riff or a motif, if you want to see it that way, um, or a hook, you know, like the intro of Clocks or whatever, um, or, you know, some, some sort of piano riff, like uh, take this from one of my songs.
right? So there's like a little piano intro, piano riff. Uh, it also combines some of the elements of the melody, or this one. So I often will write starting with something like that, where I have like this, this emotive, and it's usually not complex. I do have some more complex ones. Those were some fairly simple ones, but it certainly doesn't need to be complex to be interesting. Uh, like that second one feels very open and lonely. And, um, you know, so, so I would more recommend going that route where, you know, I didn't really open with chords. I can break down what chords are contained or implied in those riffs, right? Uh, but I didn't just like sit down and be like, okay, I'm going to write a chord progression, which is a distinction I want to draw here. So I just want to throw out there that um, if you're thinking, well, I thought we we're talking about just how to start writing chords. Uh, yes. I just think that there are a lot of different little clarifications that we need here just because um, what I mean by chords in the line between like chord progression and, a, you know, a piano riff, like what I just played, there's, 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 um, there's just a, um, a lot to be said in there where there's just a lot of gray area, right? Like, um, when I play these things, th there's implications of chords. Um, so you could argue that with that, I am writing chords. I'm writing a chord progression, but I'm, I'm mostly writing a riff or a, um, piano part that is memorable or, you know, you can do it with any instrument, um, that just happens to have an underlying chord progression, which is more how I would normally recommend writing, which almost goes back to uh, the improvisation I talked about for melody writing. Improvisation is a great friend. That's often how I will find some riffs I like. I'll just improvise until I find something I like, and then I'll tweak that, and tweak it and tweak it until I really love it. Um, but... I gotta give you what you came here for, which is how to start writing chords. So um, the way I interpret how to start writing with chords is that you're basically figuring out a chord progression. And to me, at least, the implication of a chord progression is that you are figuring out the basics of what the chord numbers are you're using. So. If you've been with us for a while, you probably know all about the Roman numeral way of notating chords. Uh, if you do not, this would be a great time to, I have the link in the description below, um, but I have a free guide. It's called uh, Music Theory for Songwriters, where I simplify and show you exactly the music theory that you need to know as a songwriter. It's basically four things. And I break it down, make it simple, uh, even have some little quizzes in there to make sure that you have uh, some understanding. Totally free guide that you can get at songwritertheory.com slash music theory guide. Again, link will be in the description. So if you're a little confused about what I'm talking about with the Roman numeral uh, chords, go download that, pause this podcast, and come back after you read up on that. Because for the rest of you who have already downloaded and enjoyed that free guide or who have been tracking with us for long enough to know what that is, or if you have come to this podcast and already know what that is, I do not want to bore you with that. So we're just going to sort of dive in. So with that, right, you have <coughs> your one chord is always going to be, you know, if you're in the key of C major, your one chord will be, yes, C major, because that's the first one. And this two would be uh, D minor, etc. So with that, what I recommend for figuring out uh, the chords is you want to figure out the chords that are going to emote what you want them to. You want them to have the emotion that you want to play with, right? So, um, you know, a common chord progression is the one, one, um, one, five, six, four is very common. You've heard that for everything. If you've ever heard the like Axis of Awesome, you know, every song, whatever, um, where they play like 50 different songs over that one chord progression, 
and they say, look, all these pop songs are the same, um, that is that chord progression. So you may have heard, I'm sure you've heard this chord progression many, many, many times before. So um, you can always do something like that where you just pick something that you know works, right? Especially, I do think that writing starting with um, chords can be a nice, easy way to start for a beginner. Again, I don't think it's the best long term, but it is an easy way to start because you can just pick chords you know work. And if you pick any chord progression involving a one, four, five, and six, pretty much all of those will work, right? If you want to do six, one, five, or one, five, four, six, or one, five, four, five, or like any combo of those will work and will sound good. Um, and, you know, if you, if you want to make it more interesting, that's when you use the two and the three. Uh, uh, personally, I'm a big fan of going from the, the, from like a three, three to four. I'm a huge fan of three to four. It can be used with um, melodies to, to just deliver a just crushing, uh, I don't know how to explain it, but it's, it's like a melody that like, goes lower than it feels like it should and then just gets lifted back up to where to where it needs to be and it sort of has this desperate aching sound and I, I just I just love it as a person who tends towards writing darker music but the main point here is you know you you can you can always just choose a chord progression that involves one four five and six and it will work once you involve two and three it requires a little more uh, working with that and toying around with it. And in general, you should avoid seven. Uh, mostly talking about major keys here. Minor keys have similar rules, except I would argue that it's much easier to make um, pretty much any of the chord degrees, any of the one through seven, work in a minor key. In a major key, it's a little more difficult, um, at least in my opinion. Um, <clears throat> but a good way to start, right, is there are so many different emotions depending on the order you do chords, right? So there's a big difference between So that was one, five, four compared to That's one, four, five One Five, four, and one, uh, four, five. All right. So the one, four, five sort of has this hope rising kind of kind of sound. Like it just, they, they, regardless of how they sound to you, right? They they have a very different character to them. Or you know, like say say we do five. So that's. Six, five, one. But what if we do, uh, let's do five, six, right? So these are all super simple chord progressions, right? I'm, I'm just using the most simple chords we have, which is the one, four, five, and six. And I'm picking three of them. Right? I'm picking just three of them, just changing the order of them, and which ones I pick, they have totally different characters, much less if you have four. Um, so <clears throat> what I recommend is playing around with some of these chord progressions until you find something that really emotes what you want your song to be. And depending on your stage of songwriting, right? Like maybe you have a, a concept, right? You have, an, you have an idea of what the song's about. Maybe you have an idea that it's about death or it's about new love or it's about love fading or it's about, or it's about um, how excited you are for the new Rise of Skywalker movie or if it's about <clears throat> how uh, disappointed you are in the last movie you saw, right? Like, um, no matter what concept you have in your head, they're all going to have a different emotion attached to them. So if you have a concept, or even even better, you know, a whole lyric or a whole 
document sort of given backstory of the type of song you're going for going out uh going into this uh then you already have an emotion that you know you want to play with and you want to give you want to you know choose a chord progression that's going to have that emotion right because at the end of the day really what songwriting is is to is is you know the the purpose of art is is basically to um uh communicate right your goal is to communicate with whoever listens to your songs. That's the, the principal thing you want to do. And part of that is to relate to the emotion you're feeling, right? If you, it, Outside of sarcasm and some other things, normally you don't want a song to sound like super happy, but then like you realize, oh, wow, that's actually really sad. And, you know, that can be done. And there are lots of famous, decent songs that do that. And there's a lot of famous, crappy songs that do that. Um, but... <clears throat> But usually, right, you want, you want your song to convey exactly uh, the, the feeling of the lyric, right? It should, it, should, it should work closely with the lyric, with the concept, uh, to work together, to give an emotion. So not, not to go back to Star Wars, but here we go. Part of what makes it so great, and specifically the soundtrack, John Williams' soundtrack, so brilliant, is all the different motifs he uses for all the different characters, right? And how it emotes exactly what he wants it to, right? Like Darth Sidious's theme is just this like evil sounding, low, deep, mysterious choir, which is basically exactly what he is, right? He's basically a devil figure. He's, you know, there's no, it's not like Anakin, you know, Darth Vader, where he has good in him and he's conflicted. This is something that's purely, um, that's, that's purely someone who is dark and evil, just like a, a devil figure, right? So, so his theme conveys that. And that's part of the beauty of a soundtrack, right? It, it cues you into how to feel, right? If you just change the soundtrack, you can change a scene that's tragic into a scene that's funny, right? That's almost like part of what dark comedy sometimes does, just based on different camera angles and different... Uh, music choices, you can take something that otherwise would be horrifying in a different movie, but because of context, it's actually funny. Um, and of course, the other way around. All to say, you want these chords to emote exactly what you want them to, right? You want to emote what this song demands. Now, on to what I think is the more important thing to tackle which is matching your chords to written music. Now, this is a whole uh, thing. It's uh, um, not something that can be fully tackled in a podcast. It's something that needs to be practiced, for sure. Um, and it's something that requires a knowledge of theory. Uh, so again, songwritertheory.com slash music theory guide. Totally free, all one word. Um, if you want to learn all of the theory that are all just four things, the four basic, necessary, helpful parts of theory that you need to know to understand what we're about to get into. So, you know, if you have a melody... So let's take that. Apparently I already forgot the melody, but sure, we'll do that. So that's C, G, F, E. So when you already have a melody, right, like, like this, you need to figure out the right chord or some possible right chords to use, right? So in this case, I'm starting with a C and I go to a G and then I am on an F for a little bit and then a C. So if you're gonna hold one chord this whole time, the clear chord is a C major chord, right? Because a C major chord contains that C, E, and G. So the only note that I played in there is that brief F sharp that isn't in that chord, right? So that's going to be a strong pairing. Right? Or... That sounds right, right? 
Or one could do So in that case, I decided to, um, with the F, play an F major chord, because F major chord would be a four chord in the key of C, right? I'm playing this in the key of C. So in that case, C, let's see, what am I trying to do here? Nope. So I, even during the G, I'm holding the C chord still, right? And then, for that, I switch to an F chord for the F, and then back to a C chord with the E, right? And that has a certain emotion to it, and it perfectly matches with all of the notes in that case, which you don't need to do. Um, I want to make that clear. You know, it, like it was fine when I would just did... Right? Like the fact that that F is not in that C major chord doesn't make that sound even a little off. Right? So <clears throat> you do not need to match every single note and change the chord to, to be a chord that perfectly fits that note. That is not necessary. What you're really looking for, right? So what I'm looking for here is the note that it starts with is a C and then another note that's accentuated. Right? So those are very accentuated notes. So to me, the main notes that stick out here is those, right? And then we sort of just graze over this down to this. So usually the note you're starting with, any note that feels accentuated, often what will be on the downbeat, right? So for example, if you're in 4-4 four, four time, the 1 and the 3, because it's 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4, are often what you're looking at. Um, and with syncopation, which is common in songs, that changes that a little bit. If you're totally confused and don't know what syncopation is, I'm sorry, but we don't have time in this podcast. I'm just trying to give you all the different little ways to look at things, and hopefully just one of these you can absorb for now and utilize for now. I'm sure we'll cover each individually in the future, but I don't want this podcast to be four hours long, and I'm sure you don't either. So... Uh, different ways to think through it is is uh, strong beats, right? So I just said one, two, three, four. So, so in that case, right? So I have one, two, one, two. So in that case, right? That's very syncopated. But the one thing that is on a downbeat is that C. And it also has the fact that that's the, like, like this line, right, is, and the first note and the ending note are the two, in my mind, most important ones to match. All the notes in between, uh, you can do something a little different. So like, right, that still sounds right, right? In that case, I changed it to C, A, G, down to E. But that C chord still sounds right because I start and end on notes that are still a C in a C chord. So, big things to note here, right? What note does my phrase start with? What note does it end with? If it ends with something totally not in your chord, maybe you want to change it, right? So let's try... So... doesn't sound bad, right? So if you want to add a little tension, right, then that might be good because it doesn't quite fit with the chord. It still sounds pretty good, uh, but it doesn't sound perfectly consonant, right? Because that's not in that chord. So it sounds a little jazzier. It sounds a little more interesting. It has a little more color, um, right? So, so you, can, you can purposefully have a note that's not in the chord if you want that feeling, but you might want it to sound more consonant, uh, in which case, since I'm doing C, G, F, but this time I'm going down to a D, you could do, you know, a C chord, because that part is very, you know, C, G, and then F, you know, 
but we're passing over that note quickly. It's still in the same key, so we don't need to feel the need to change chords right there. So we can do... Ooh, okay, I went down to a G chord because a D is contained in a G chord, right? Or we could do, you know how early on I did the whole... And then for the for the um, F note, I I did a F chord, and then back to a C chord, right? So right, and that changes the whole feel of it, right? Let's compare. To, right, like that has a whole different feel, but they both would work, right? I'm matching it up with the note. And then back to where we were going with that, right? We changed it to. So let's combine what we did with both, right? So I had. Which is C to a G to match with the D, compared to just keeping it on C. sort of has a little bit more of an, uh, I don't want to say interesting because that makes it sound necessarily positive, but it's a little more dissonant, a little more off feeling. It adds a little more tension, uh, which you might want to do or not, but this sounds more resolved, right? Compared to, because there you probably want me to go. Right? Because now I resolved it to an E, which is in the C chord. Uh, because, you know, it wants to be pulled to where it does feel resolved. Or it might want to resolve to a C, right? Playing with tension there. But let's, let's combine the two concepts. So let's do... But we're going to do this with a D instead of the E. So C, G, F, D. And we're going to do the F chord and then G chord. So. Oh, whoops. So now I'm perfectly matching every single note again, which has a whole different sound. Um, so let's take... Compared to just... So you see how based on this one melody and then some, some similar melodies, right? So we basically played with, which ends on an E and which ends with a D. And then we also changed up that we didn't, instead of going up to a G and then going F, we did A, G. So, right, so those are just slight melody, uh, slightly changing melodies. Um, but the idea here is I'm showing you some different ways to think through what chords you choose based on the, you know, based on one melody. Um, <clears throat> so the key things to note here is, you know, for example, when I did this, right? So I, I'm going down that D, but I'm playing a C, a C chord. It's over a C chord. Um, you can't keep it tense forever, right? Like the whole, what makes a song interesting and beautiful and, 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 and just interesting is, is the release and then the creation of tension, right? Going back and forth. Now that doesn't mean that you can't be tense for a while, um, but you gotta be intentional about it, right? So you can't just be like, oh, well, since anything works, I guess I can just sort of, you know, do a C chord and do all sorts of stuff. A 
that's a bad example because I'm not actually playing all three notes. Which, actually, what I just gave you an example of is how a dyad... So that's a dyad is just two notes instead of a triad, so I'm just the first and the fifth of C. Uh, you can basically play any note over it, and that all works very well and makes it very interesting, so I'm a big fan of dyads. But, um, you know, if you're playing a C chord, you can't just... Right, that doesn't sound very good. And you, like at some point you just desperately need it to go. Otherwise it just sounds dumb, right? Like you can't just... Right, because I'm playing just all notes that aren't in the C chord. So hopefully that sounded pretty bad to you. It's supposed to, um, compared to the whole Right, like that's just perfectly, almost perfectly consonant, right? But the perfectly consonant would be... Oops, sorry. Ugh, now I played the wrong melody. Right, because with every note I changed it. So the, the key is to find the in-between, to make the tension on the right note. Um, that you want it to be. So depending on what your melody is, right, maybe you want the whole... Right, because now it wants to resolve up to the E, and maybe that's what you want for your song. Or maybe for some reason you do want that unresolved D at the end. Even though you desperately want it to resolve to this E, or... bound to the C to, to match with the chord. Um, so the key here is to play with all of those um, different concepts um, of the tension that you can create based on the chords you're choosing, right? Like, like basically, I changed what the melody sounded like completely almost. The, the, the attitude of the melody is almost completely different from... compared to... right? Because that time I went to the G chord, gave it more of a resolution. Or... what if I used an A minor chord for the first part? has a whole different feel, right? Or, how about an F? Right, so I use an F major that time. So all these sound so different, right? And it sounds so different and yet the same because it is the same melody, but the, but how it feels is different because of the chords you're selecting, right? And you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to take the time to break down each of these chords because um, we are sort of running out of time with the artificial time constraints I give myself. Because I don't know if you guys want hour-long podcasts. Which, by the way, let me know. Email me at josephatsongwritertheory.com if you ever feel like you know I cut something short and you kind of did want me to keep going and diving into stuff. I can try to do that a little more often, but generally I want to aim for half an hour or under with these. Some concepts like today I did feel like needed to go a little bit longer, so that's why we're doing that, But because um, I do want to make sure you you learn what, what's needed. So in this case, right, so a C is in the, I, this in this case I'm using an F major chord. Uh, a C is an F in an F major chord, right? Because an F major chord is an F, an A, and a C. So, so the G now is not in it, but the F is. So, so in that case, I resolve to the G again, the same way we did. So it's a similar concept. The only difference is... So for both, right, we have... 
So I'm resolving with this note because it's the last note and I decided to go with that stylistic choice for this example. Um, but in the case of both, right? So for the C, we're matching with the first two different notes, but that F is not quite in that chord and then resolving to a G. But in this other's choice, right, with the F, the C is in an F chord, but a G is not. But the F is, and then resolved. So in both cases, right, the three notes I'm pairing with the chord actually belong to the chord. And then I can even use the A minor chord, which I have shown you, which is this. So in that case, an A minor chord does contain a C, because it's A, C, E, um, but it doesn't contain an F or a G. But because it has that first note, and then it resolves, right? So it still sounds good. So um, you have to you have to play around is really the short answer to all this. So, so I'm explaining to you some of the theory concepts behind this and you know the reason why it feels perfectly consonant when you match every single chord and make sure the melody is always matching with the chord that sounds perfectly consonant but playing around with right that just adds tension so sometimes that's good right so you have to figure out for your song what's right you know so for example if the melody is You know, there's so many different things you can do with that. So let's just stay on the C. See what I love about that is you're staying on the same chord and that just begs this to resolve to that, right? Or you could do. So in that case, A minor. back to A minor, so it would G, A minor, but how about So in that case, right, again that A minor concept, which matches with the C, because an A minor has a C, the G doesn't match, but oh well, and neither does the F, but oh well it resolves here with the D and the uh, being in a G chord. So A minor, D uh, with a G major chord. And then because I'm resolving up to the E, right, I could, I could and did the first time go back up to an A minor because an A minor contains an E. But I decided I like the sound of going down to the C, so. Because C chord does contain an E, so it gives that consonant ending, right? So, so this part, right, sort of sounds uh, a little more mysterious, a little more sad, right? Because uh, there's several reasons for this. One is minor chord. Second thing is is these notes don't quite belong, so it sort of adds to that. But then it resolves so beautifully in a positive way, right? Because both, both of those are perfectly consonant, right? So it's all about playing with these different concepts and how I'm playing with, you know, this sort of dissonance here. That's consonant, but Right? Those don't quite belong, but I'm using that to build tension. Oh, resolved. There we go, right? Or... Right? Because that works too, because I resolve to the C note, C major chord. Or, if I resolve to that note, I can also be perfectly consonant with an F major chord, the four chord of C major, right? 
because I'm going down to a C, and F major has F, A, C. Um, so I know that that, that, that that was a lot, right? This has been 50 minutes of just nonstop information. So that if this is your first podcast, I'm sorry. This is probably one of the most overwhelming podcasts I've ever done. So if you're overwhelmed, just go get that free music theory guide, music theory, uh, songwriter theory dot com slash music theory guide all one word and that will help you to be less overwhelmed so maybe give another listen and even if you have downloaded that even if you have been listening for a while this still might have been overwhelming and i know but the podcast format um, and trying to fit it all in is difficult this is a very large subject we could take months um, you know, this is the sort of stuff that I learned in t- over a whole year of music composition classes. So, so this is just a lot of information. Um, so I just want to throw a bunch of stuff at you and then whatever sticks with you this first time you listen to it, good. Anything, anything that sticks is good. Um, so to go back quickly over concepts we're talking about here, um, it's the idea that when you're selecting your chords, especially when matching with a melody, right? So that's sort of what this whole second part was, what the majority of this podcast turned into, is talking about picking a melody, or sorry, picking chords that match with your melody and how the chords inform the melody and inform the whole song as to the feel, right? Because the feel of... is very different than... Sorry. Actually, that doesn't sound very good because that's an E with a G, with a F major chord. F major chord does not have an E unless it was a seventh chord, which it's not in this case. Um, so, good example of a chord progression that doesn't quite work, right? So, actually, yeah, actually, yeah. Let's do that again. Sorry. Ah, it just doesn't really work because. Uh, it felt the need to resolve, and this is very not resolved. Uh, feels just sort of wrong, but if we do. Right, that sounds totally different. Same exact melody. Sounds very different than where I just stayed on C, but I just changed the chords I was playing. Or, you know. So the, the point here that I hope you take is one, that the chords you choose to go with your melody, they need to be informed by the melody, right? The different notes. So I often picked an, a, a, a chord that contained, so A minor chord with a C or C major chord with the C. I often picked a chord that matched with you know, the first note of my phrase. And then I picked a chord that matched with the last note of my phrase. And it was important to get those down. Or if you have a note on a downbeat, those are you, so the notes you want to match with the most are usually, you're looking at downbeats. So in a four, four time, it would be one, two, three, four, one and three. And then in a three, four time, one, two, three, one, two, three, the one um, would be the main downbeat. That's something to think about. And then where the phrase starts, usually the starter note should be in the chord. Again, depends on the emotion you're trying to give. So you gotta test out different things. I can't talk through all of that in one podcast. But for a general rule of thumb, the reason uh, the chords I picked were based on, I have a C note starting the phrase. So I'm picking a C major chord, which is in the key of C, obviously, and contains a C. Uh, I could have used, uh, an F chord to start, which I think I did for one example, because an F chord it contains the C, and then the A minor chord also contains the C. And then with the final note, similar idea. You, you probably want to match that note. A part of that is usually the, the last note of the phrase is one that you're going to hold for a little longer. And um, unless you want to build a lot of tension, you don't usually want to hold a note that is not quite in the chord. You usually want that to sound resolved. Um, <clears throat> so, I know I threw a lot at you, but 
But again, I hope those are the main concepts you take away. Thinking about downbeats, thinking about first and last notes of phrases, and then thinking about the different emotions of the different chords, right? And how they color the melody. Your chord selection helps color your melody. So there's one takeaway I want you to get from this. It's that the reason not to usually just pick a chord progression, be like, oh, I'm just going to do one, five, six, four, because it works with pretty much everything, is that a chord progression and selecting chords, even not using jazzy chords, right? Like today I did mostly like dyads, power chords, so not even including the third of the chord, or I did tri basic triads. So I'm not even coloring the chords, right? Just with the basic chords, you have a huge palette to sort of color your song uh, via chord selection, not even getting into add chords and suspended chords and different inversions of chords, which are all things we've covered in previous podcasts, and I'm sure we will cover again because these things need to be gone over many times from different perspectives. And I'll teach them different ways so that if it didn't click the first time, it hopefully will the next time. So I know I threw a lot at you today. And I'm sorry if you're feeling overwhelmed. Uh, feel free to listen to the podcast again to pick up on something different the second time around or the third time around. The music theory guide will help you a lot. Again, link in the description. Um, so I hope that overall this was helpful. If it was or was not, feel free to email me, Joseph at songwritertheory.com. Everybody else who has emailed me can verify. I will always respond. Uh, it might take a couple days because I try not to uh, check the email too often because I'm too busy trying to produce content that, that helps all of you. And I don't want to get too distracted by email, but I will respond for sure. Um, just be patient with me if it takes a couple of days. Uh, but I definitely will get back to you. Also, if there's a specific topic you would like me to cover, I am already planning out next, I'm trying to plan out all of next year's material uh, right now, uh, but I will happily swap things in and out if a lot of you are requesting certain things. Like for example, this whole month of start, of how to start, uh, was inspired by someone, I believe it was Tom, who uh, specifically asked for like, hey, how do I start with lyrics? Uh, so I covered that, and then... I decided to go one step further and cover how to start all the different uh, ways to start. Um, well, not all of them, but a lot of the big picture ones, of which this one is maybe the most overwhelming. So, I hope this was helpful. If you did find it helpful, please leave a review on iTunes. If you feel like you cannot give the podcast five stars for whatever reason, just shoot me an email, joseph at songwritertheory.com. I would love to get your feedback so that I can earn five stars from you. Um, and that way I can earn five stars, but at the same time, if you think that it's worth three stars right now, you don't uh, go and leave three stars and then the algorithm's ruined or is hurt, I should say, and then not as many people give the podcast a chance, and then I don't have as much of a chance to get better, and then it just becomes a whole thing. Um, so I do ask that if you can't give five stars for whatever reason, just shoot me an email. Tell me why, um, so that I can improve, because my goal is to improve and to help you. And the new year's coming. I've already committed to this being a long podcast, so I might as well uh, say what I've sort of said and a couple other podcasts, but I want to remake clear. Now, the reason I do this um, really boils down to I'm just sick of the lack of quality in music, and I want to do as much as I can for my part to help anybody out there who is like, you know, a deep person, a person who's capable of creating great art, great music you know, interesting, compelling lyrics and melodies and, 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 and songs that reach people and just, just are like real songs, not some other crappy song on the radio that's about how one girl wants to get with this one guy and they're at a club and they're dancing and her hips don't lie and all that crap, right? Like, that's meaningless, whatever. Like, and I'm not hating on those songs so much as like there's more to music than that, right? Like that, making people dance is a fine goal for music, for sure. But that's not my goal, right? Like, for me personally, 
my music goal is, a lot of my music is built around, I usually uh, write it from a place of sadness. And my goal is that when people listen to these songs, if they're in a state of sadness, they think, I'm not alone. And that's my mission. Your mission doesn't need to be that. But uh, in the interest of transparency, that's my goal. I want somebody to listen to a song of mine, hear the pain that I'm feeling, and they think, oh, I've had that too, or I'm experiencing that right now. Um, and it, you know, because one of the most horrible, in my opinion, human experiences is that feeling of being alone. Uh, and with my music, I certainly hope that people get that feeling of, oh, thank God, I'm not alone. I'm not the only person who's been through this. Um, it's not to say all my music is that, right? Like I, I experiment with different things and I don't like write with a mission per se. I write what comes to mind, just that tends to be what comes out a lot. Um, which I tell you that just to say, hey, I'm here on a mission, right? I want to help you produce great music for people to listen to, right? Like I remember the times that music saved me in one way or another where it got me through tough times, you know, certain songs that will always be really special to me. I'm Not Alright by Sanctus Real got me through a lot. I'm Still Here by Vertical Horizon got me through a lot. Like, and these songs will always remain special to me. And uh, I want our mission to be that we work and learn and learn music theory and do the things we need to do to best equip ourselves to write that kind of music. Because if your music in any way can help someone else in any meaningful way, it's all success, right? And again, it doesn't need to be sad stuff, right? Sad stuff is just what works with me, or deeper, sadder stuff, morose stuff, tends to be what works with me, tends to be what I gravitate towards. Maybe your thing is writing happy dance music that helps people forget the pain for the moment, right? That's perfectly valid, too. It doesn't really matter what your mission, what your thing is. What matters is that we're on the same page, and you understand why I'm doing this. Like, what's the goal here? And the goal is that mission. I want to equip as many people as possible to write great music that reaches people so that we can increase the quality of songwriting every generation because you know what right now I don't think the songwriting out there is good enough especially what's on the radio um, and if I can be even a little help to that if we can start a revolution together if we can all stand together and say no there is a higher standard than this there used to be uh, you know we all know that music that reaches our hearts we want more of that because it's out there it's out there it's usually not on the radio but it's certainly out there there's lots of great music out there and I'm not saying there isn't, um, but, but there needs to be even more. And I hope that you want to stand with me and say, look, we're going to all stand together. We're going to have this revolution of sorts where we say, I'm going to be a part of the solution. I'm going to be a part of the solution to you know, creating more meaningful music for the world. So that's why I do this. That's why I've been talking for an hour now, uh, taking time out of my day. So if you believe in that mission, shoot me an email, joseph at songwritertheory.com. I want to know who's out there. I want to know who that's resonating with. Uh, and, and you know what? I'd just be encouraged to know somebody stands with me on that mission. Um, Again, doesn't matter what your perspective is on it. Maybe you think writing sad music is a horrible way to do that. That doesn't matter. Right? What matters here is to be on a mission to, like, I hope, I hope you're not here just saying, oh, I just want a popular song, to write a popular song and to get rich because Katy Perry covered my song. I really hope that's not why you're here. So if you're with me on this mission for meaningful, great music that is both artistically good and can be commercially accessible, can be something that anyone can enjoy, um, or somewhere in between. Maybe you don't want something that's commercially accessible at all. That's fine. Uh, I personally am huge on Christopher Nolan and his movies, right? Because I think it's a great marriage of art and uh, also, like, right, the, like, it's great art, but it also is just great cinema. Even if you're not a refined cinemaphile or whatever, like, you can enjoy his movies. They're still enjoyable movies. Uh, and personally, that's 
where I like my music to try to go for. But regardless of all that, if you stand with me for this mission of like, let's all together write great music because the world needs more great music, shoot me an email, joseph at songwritertheory.com. And also if you stand with me on that mission, that's a good reason to go leave a review, especially on iTunes, so that more people can find this, so more people can join this cause, so more of us can be writing great music for the world, so we can contribute more to the world, so that the next generation music is even better. Um, because I think there's a long way to go, and I think we can be so much better. Um, and us all doing this together can be huge for that. So if you're with me on that mission, leave a review or email me or both or just tell a friend, right? If you have a friend who you know, they would resonate with this cause. Tell them about that. Tell them about what I stand for, what we're, what we're trying to do here, this revolution of sorts that I want to start via this podcast um, because... Great music has a amazing capability to reach people. So, with that said, thank you for sticking with me for the super long podcast, and I will talk to you next week. <laughs>